Well, good morning, Calvary. It's great to be here. Um, it's hard for me to believe that Christmas is right around the corner, that it's just a few days away. It just seems like time goes by so fast. I mean, it just comes and it goes. As a kid, I just remember the anticipation of Christmas. I remember Christmas Eve, the night before, just the tremendous anticipation. What am I going to get? What am I going to get? Is that the basketball that I always wanted? What, you know, what is it? And, uh, and it's a thrill. It really is. And as you get older, um, you appreciate the gifts still. You do. But there's something about giving gifts to other people and just seeing a smile on their face. There, there's something about that. And I'm specifically thinking of my little boy, Hunter. A lot of you know him. He's about a year and a half old. And Hunter, when he's excited, he smiles. But when he's really excited, he has a special smile. And I'm excited to give him gifts. I'm excited to give him my time because I love to see that smile on his face, that special smile. And I wonder if um, when you consider what the Lord has done for you, all that he's done for you, does it put a smile on your face? I think if we were honest, sometimes the smiles can be forced. Uh, because with life comes a lot of disappointment, heartache, emotional scars from relationships, there's grievances, there's loss, surprises in the condition of our health. And sometimes a smile seems forced. But it's in those times where we need to remember the Lord. We need to take his word seriously and remember what he's done for us and where he's taking us. Because our God has given us a future and a hope. He's given us an inheritance and he's given us a refuge. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Joshua chapter 18. We're actually going to read, go quickly through three to four chapters. <laughs> I know that seems like a lot, but a lot of these chapters, there's a lot of division of land, and so we're going to just quickly go over stuff. But just to give you some background in Joshua, what's going on so far in the book? Uh, so the book starts by God, telling Mo, by, by God telling Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. It says, go cross this Jordan and give the land of Canaan to my people as their inheritance. You see, God made a promise to Abraham hundreds of years earlier that he was going to give the, the descendants of Abraham this land, the land of Canaan. And so Moses is dead, and Joshua is going to lead the people to the promised land, to their inheritance. But they have to cross this Jordan River. And this is during flood stage. This isn't a little creek where you can just hop a few rocks and get over. This is, a, this is a river, and it's during flood stage. And so there's a barrier to get to that promised land. And there's roughly three million people that need to get across, women, children, men. And so what you're going to need is divine intervention. You're going to need God to get you through that river. 
And then chapters 5 through 8, you have the cities of Jericho, fortified cities. How are you going to get over the wall? How are you going to breach the walls? You're going to need divine intervention. Chapters 9 through 12, you have the defeat of the southern, southern confederacy of the kings. How are you going to defeat these kings? Through divine intervention. God's going to send a hailstorm, and there's going to be a cosmic miracle. In chapters 13 through 18, you have the land is starting to get distributed to the, to the, to the tribes. And that leads us to chapter 18, verse 1. So right now, the tent of meeting is being established in Shiloh. The tent of meeting is the tabernacle. And this is the first time that that's been mentioned in the book. Because the people of God are to establish the worship of God in this land. And so they do that in verse 1. But in verse 2, something very interesting happens. It says, so Joshua, it says, So there remained among the sons of Israel seven tribes who had not divided their inheritance. These seven tribes witnessed all that God had done, the divine intervention, time and time again. They've seen the good hand of God and how he's led them this far. And in their lives, things are going well. And then they take their foot off the gas. They take their foot off the gas and they hit the brake. And if you, hear, if you listen closely enough, you can hear the frustration in Joshua's voice. Joshua says, How long will you put off entering to take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, has given you? Why was Joshua so put off by this? Because, you see, there was an objective that needed to be accomplished. And that objective was to provide for the worship of God. You see, in, in, in the book of Numbers... 35, 1 through 3, God says to Moses, Command the sons of Israel that they give to the Levites from their inheritance cities to live in. You shall give to the Levites pasture lands around the cities. The cities shall be theirs to live in, and their pasture lands shall be for their cattle, for their herds, and for all their beasts. See, the people of God were explicitly instructed by Moses to give cities to the Levites. But how are, they, how are they to do that if they don't actually possess their own land? They need to possess their land so they can give cities to these Levites. You see, God's plan for the continuance of worship in the Promised Land was to have a priestly tribe, the Levites, who were responsible for overseeing their religious ceremonies. And so in chapter 18, verse 7, it says, The Levites have no inheritance because the Lord is their inheritance. So the people of God were to take their inheritance and give part of it to the Levites. Without land or crop, how will the Levites have provision? How will the whole tribe get the food they need? without any farms. The people of God were to provide for them. They were to take what God had given them and share it. 
They failed to take possession of the land. They failed to act on what God had given them. You see, they were given this, this land nationally, but there were tribes that had to go in and actually take the land. He gave his people an inheritance. Has God given his people an inheritance? What is it? Galatians 3.29 says, And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. You see, when God made this promise to Abraham, the land was part of the deal. The land to the tribes of Israel was part of the deal, but God the whole time had something much bigger in mind. Abraham was going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham and his descendants, those who believe in Christ Jesus, would be heirs. And this says, of the whole world to come. It's hard to even fathom what that means, the whole world. You're going to be an heir of the world to come. The Bible says that we've inherited eternal life. You know, we have eternal life now if you know the Lord, but in a coming day, you're going to realize the fullness of that. To, to be able to walk with God uninterrupted by sin. In a new body, a glorified body, we're going to inherit eternal life. We're going to inherit the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, God has given you a bright future. A bright future. But not only has God given us a bright future, He's given us everything we need in this life right now to live a godly life. Second Peter will actually touch on this. He'll say that he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has given you everything you need to live a godly life. Peter will say we become partakers of the divine nature that God lives in us. But he'll go on to say Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness and love. If you possess these qualities and are increasing, and these qualities are increasing, they'll keep, they'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of Christ. Add to your faith. All of life is a walk of faith. It's not like you start by faith and then you just work it out on your own. All of life is faith 
But God says these are the things that need to be increasing in your life. And it takes effort. The seven tribes failed to make effort. But God's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Think about this. We're going to go to Tahoe. Uh, a few of us here, Heidi and I and her parents. And Heidi, growing up, used to snowboard. And I never have been snowboarding. And so Heidi can buy me snow pants. She can buy me a snow jacket. She can buy me a helmet. She can buy me goggles. She can buy me a season's pass to heavenly. She can even drag me up the mountain and get me up there. And I can stand there with everything that I need on top of that mountain. But guess what? I still have to make some effort. I still have to go down and get up and go down and get up. I have to make effort. Part of effort is showing brotherly kindness. You know, if these seven tribes were thinking of their brothers, their Levites, they would have possessed that land. Thinking of the other guy. So some of us are like those seven tribes. We've, we've lived our life and our spiritual life has come to a screeching halt. We're really not making the spiritual progress that we want to make in our lives. We recognize that the flame that we had for God has been blown out. Whether it be from discouragement, depression, maybe you just feel overworked and you're tired. Sin, problems in your marriage that just can never seem to get resolved. And over the years, it's just the problem is always there and the problem gets calloused. And nothing ever changes. And it's just this problem, this lingering problem. Or maybe you're distracted by all the glimmer and glamour of the world. Just distracted. But it's in those times that Jesus, I mean Joshua, says to you, it's time to get up. It's time to start making some effort and to take me at my word and to do what I've called you to do. So Joshua gives them directions in verses 4 through 7. He wants them to appoint a special group of men, three from each of the seven tribes, to act as a surveying crew. So these men are to go into the land, to survey it, and to report back to Joshua. And in verses 8 through 9, praise God, the people do it. They listen to the voice of Joshua. They get up and they act. They make effort. So they go, they, they survey the land, they map it out, they go back to Joshua, they report to him. They have seven different divisions in this book. Joshua takes the book, he goes before the Lord. Lots are cast, 
and the Lord will divide out these allotments to the tribes. So in chapters in chapter 18, verse 11 through 1949, we have the seven tribes that have allotments. We're not going to go through every single one of those because it would take all day. But we have the territory of Benjamin in chapter 19, in chapter 19 the territory of Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Dan. At the end of the chapter, you have Joshua getting his inheritance. Eliezer, the priest, gets his inheritance. And in verse 51, the very end says, So they finished dividing the land. How exciting. Can you imagine? You're one of the tribes and you've been waiting for this moment, and here you are, and God is calling out your allotment, the land that you've been waiting for for years, and here it is, and you're going to see what it is. You have a place to live in. And so as we see, as believers, we've inherited, all believers inherit eternal life. All believers inherit the kingdom of God. All believers will inherit the world to come. But you know what? When we die and we face the Lord, we're going to have different rewards, aren't we? So to speak, different allotments. Based on our faithfulness, based on what we did with the resources that God had given us, we're going to have rewards. So what are those rewards? What are they? Well, just I have a few examples. Possessions, positions, and projects. Possessions, positions, and projects. You say, oh, possessions, possessions, what are you talking about? In Matthew 19, 29, Jesus says that there will be a difference in possessions in the age to come. He said, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms, for my name's sake, will receive many times as much. And we'll inherit eternal life. Paul talks about receiving crowns in the coming day. Possessions that we receive from the Lord. Positions. In Luke 19, Jesus says that there will be differences in positions in the age to come. He tells his, his disciples that some will rule over ten cities. Some will rule over five. Based on their faithfulness and what they did with what God had given them. There will be projects. Yeah, I think sometimes people think of heaven as this eternal retirement home where you, you, know, you just play bingo all day. You just kind of, you're just there. What are we really doing? And, you know, work is so hard today, and we want to just escape work. It's so difficult and all the stress that comes with work. That to think that maybe we're working in heaven is sometimes a damper. I'm going to work in heaven? <laughs> but this is going to be a joy to work. It's not going to be this, by the sweat of your brow. There will be no more curse. We're going to have stuff to do in heaven. In Matthew 25, Christ says to his servants, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. He'll, he'll give us projects 
in heaven. And what's interesting, too, is in Colossians, it even talks about the slave. Well, what about the slave? What's his reward going to be? This is what Colossians says. Slaves in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. The very way you work, you go to work, you put in a tight position, but you know what? You do what's right. You do what's right. You're honest. And you work for the Lord. That's what everyone sees and sees how great you are. You do it for the Lord. And the Lord says that you'll get a reward for that. 2 Peter says something extremely interesting. 2 Peter 2.11. It says this, For in this way the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. All believers will enter the kingdom of God. But for some, it will be abundantly supplied to them. So what does that mean, it will be abundantly supplied to you? Does that mean some people are going to sneak through the back door? And other people are going to have a red carpet and people are going to be clapping. Yeah, all right. Woo-hoo. All right, you're here. Yeah. An abundant entrance. For a few people, talk about it this way. Other people will have a richer experience. It'll be... The entrance will be richly supplied to them. It'll be abundant. They'll have a richer experience because they, co- because they cooperated with God and they used the resources that he gave him for his people. They grew. They developed. God worked on their character and they were humble. They let God change them. And it's true when we see Christ, the Bible says, we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. We will be morally like him. We will not have sin. We will be perfect. But your maturity here and your growth does matter in the future day. I want you to think about it this way. You know, in, in a few days, we're going to have Christmas. There's going to be a lot of parties. Imagine this for a moment. You have a little kid, and he loves his ice cream. And he's just sitting there eating his ice cream, having a good time. And he enjoys it and he loves it. And he sees his sister sitting down with her nice dress, buttoned up sweater. And she's actually waiting for a special someone, a special guest to arrive to the party. The little boy doesn't quite understand what she's doing. But, the little, but, the, but that, not little girl, that girl knows what's going on and she's, she's waiting for that special somebody. And that's where she's at in her life. And then mom and dad, well, they're there in the party. And they remember that time in their life when they were single and they were waiting for that special someone to come in. And they remember that. And then you have, but see, they like ice cream too. And, 
and they remember that time. Then you have the grandparents, and the grandparents are looking at this whole, everything before them, and they like ice cream, and they remember when they first fell in love, when they were single and they first fell in love. And, and see, the capacity is different based on the maturity, the capacity to appreciate where you're at in life. It's different based on your maturity. And our growth in our Christian life has a huge impact in the future day. Some people, everyone's going to enjoy heaven. But some people are going to be more mature than others when they get there. Because they've, allowed, they've humbled themselves and God has changed them and molded them more into the image of his son. So Christ says that we'll have different positions, possessions, and projects. So as we go back to Joshua, we go back to our chapter. The land's been divided, and the people begin to settle in their land. Some of these people have to rebuild the cities because they've been destroyed. A lot of the cities are still there, but they go in. They take possession of the land, and things begin to settle down. This was a time, though, when there were no policemen, no jails. If you steal my cow, and my, co- my cow costs $1,500, I'm not going to have to pay for your hamburgers and your electricity. Judaism's going to force you to pay me for my cow with interest. There's one tax, 10%. If you earn little, you pay little. You earn a lot, you pay a lot. 10% flat tax. No standing army, no IRS. Your sons and your daughters can inherit, can inherit your land. They don't have to give it to the king. This is theocracy. People live with freedom. But if you're going to have this kind of freedom, you're going to need something in this land. You're going to need reverence for God and for his government. So you have Joshua who, so to speak, was a judge. He was a deliverer of his people. You have the high priest, the spiritual man, Eliezer. You have the tribal leaders, who actually played a really important role, a very important role in times of war. Because they were, they were a militia, they were not a standing army. The poor, God made provision for them. They did do certain things the way God told them, but they were provided for. But they had to work. Everyone had to work, but they were provided for. So God provided, but there was something else that God provided. He invited an important provision because accidents happen. Accidents will happen in this land. So God provided a refuge, a chance of protection from the avenger of blood. So let's read chapter 20. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel, saying, Designate the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses. 
that the manslayer who kills any person unintentionally without premeditation may flee there, and he shall become your refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of those cities, and he shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and state his case in the hearing of the elders of that city. And they shall take him into the city to them and give him a place so that he may dwell among them. Now if the avenger of blood pursues him, then they shall not deliver the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor without premeditation and did not hate him beforehand. He shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for the judgment, until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the manslayer shall return to his own city and to his house, to the city from which he fled. And verses 7 through 9 talk about the six cities that were set apart. Three on the eastern side of the Jordan and three on the western side. So if you kill a man by accident, because accidents happen, you have a refuge to flee to. And you're safe there. And when that high priest dies, then you can go back. But you know what? If you go to that refuge and you leave before that high priest dies, the avenger of blood can take your life. See, what happens is if you kill a man, a sibling from his family would come after you. And that person was called the avenger of blood. But if you kill a man on purpose, out of rage, out of anger, it doesn't matter if you flee to that city. You can flee to that city, and they'll give you right back to the avenger of blood. Life for life. You kill someone, then your life will be taken if you kill them with premeditation. So I want you to think with me for a moment. Because we don't have any examples of this in the book of Joshua. But we know that it happened. But I want you to think. I have a story to tell you. And I'm going to tell it, and I want you to think about back then, okay? But I might use language that we use today. But think about it back then. I want you to think about a little boy. See, this little boy, he, he grew up and he loved to hear stories. And so as a little boy, he would sit on the, on the lap of his grandma, of his grandpa, auntie and uncle, mom and dad, and he loved to hear stories. And they would tell him about Adam and Eve. They would tell him about Noah and the Ark. He really loved Noah and the Ark. All the animals. They would tell him about Moses in the Red Sea. They would tell him about how, about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And he loved those stories. And Grandma would tell him about the cities of refuge. He really didn't like that story very much. That's when he wanted to get off of her lap. It wasn't very interesting. As he got older, five years old, six years old, he still heard those stories. Cities of refuge didn't seem very relevant. He haven't killed anyone. And he gets older, and his mom passes away from illness, unexpected. He grows up. He's a young man now. It's a Monday morning. He wakes up in his bed, and he thinks to himself, Another week. Great. 
Got to get up and go to work. So he goes to work, and his job is to clear out the forest. That's his job. He's got to clear out the forest. And he has his axe. He's with his co-worker. And they're just chopping down trees. That's his work. Chopping down trees. And he's swinging that thing. And it's a lot of work to chop down a tree. And he's swinging that thing and swinging that thing. And then he loses his balance. And he looks. And his axe head flew off. And he tells his co-worker, oh, man, I lost another one. Another one. Came off. And no response. He looks around and he sees his coworker with the axe head right in his neck. And he runs to his coworker, he grabs him, he does whatever he can, but he bleeds out. They didn't have cell phones, he couldn't hop in his car. The man bleeds out. Oh my goodness. A day that I thought would be just another day. How could this have happened? Unexpected tragedy. And tears are streaming down his face. He can't believe it. And the realization begins to set in. I'm a dead man. I'm a dead man. You kill someone even accidentally, you're a dead man. Because that man's family member is going to come after you and take your life. And in the moment of all the emotion, he hears almost a gentle whisper in his ear. Flee the wrath to come. Flee to the cities of refuge. Little did that man know that his whole life, people had been praying for him. All those prayer meetings during the week, sometimes hardly attended, God was there. And God was listening to the prayers of his people for that young man. The mother of that man, oftentimes at night, in the darkness of the night, would be awake because of her snoring husband next to her. And without saying a word in her soul, she would cry out, God, save my son. Save my child. What is it going to take to save my child? And you know that woman prayed every single day for her child. And nothing seemed to happen. Day in and day out. But you know what? She kept praying for him. And she didn't even see. But the impact that her prayers made in that boy's life. God, that gentle whisper was the very voice of God in that man's life. Flee the wrath to come. And all those stories that he heard, and you thought, are they really getting it? Began to sink in. I'm going to flee to that city. But see, when you realize you're in trouble, when you realize that the wrath of man is on you, 
that your life is going to be taken by the avenger of blood, you've got, you got to get to that city of refuge quickly. You know, a month's not going to do. A week's not going to do. A couple of days will not do. You need to get there today. And God in his wisdom had six cities, three on the eastern side of the Jordan, three on the west. And those cities were dispersed in such a way to where you could get to those, those cities within a day, maybe even half a day. They were dispersed to the land of Canaan, so no matter where you were, you can get to the, one of those cities. So, that man, he, he gets to the city, he bursts through the gates, he explains his situation, it was an accident, and who does he see there in the gates of the cities of refuge? He sees the Levites. He sees the Levites. Well, why are the Levites there? Because back in chapter 18, the people of God took the word of God seriously. They got up. They took possession of their land. And who did they share that land with? Who did they share their cities with? The Levites. The source of blessing you can be by taking the word of God seriously, just by being faithful in what God has called you to do. I think some of us are sitting here and we're thinking, nice story, Robert. We appreciate that. I don't have cities of refuge today. I haven't killed anyone. How is this, this relevant to my life? Well, let me ask you a question. Are you responsible for the death of Jesus? I'm not responsible for the death of Jesus. You know, I actually surveyed seven people. And no, I didn't go up to them and say, hey, how's it going, Jim? Are you responsible for the death of Jesus? It'd be awkward. But I have friends that I talk to, and I have these survey questions I go through with them in this class that I'm in. And one of the questions I ask is, are you responsible for the death of Jesus? I asked seven people that answer that question. Two people said yes. Five people said, absolutely not. How in the world can I be responsible for his death? I wasn't even there. How could you say I'm responsible for something that happened before I even existed? Seems like a fair way of thinking. I don't blame people for thinking that way. The reality is Christ came to die not just for our sins, but for the sins of the entire world. He died for your sins. You didn't mean to kill him, but you did. Your sins put him there. You say, well, wait, so you're saying Christ was a victim? I thought he gave his life willingly. Well, first, uh, Peter will actually talk about this idea. 
He says that was a predetermined plan of God on one side. But on the other side, you killed him by the hands of godless men. It was your sins that put him to the cross. Turn with me to Hebrews 6. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made the promise to Abraham, since he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply you. So having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. For men swear by one greater than themselves, and with them an oath, given as confirmation, is an end of every dispute. Verse 17, in the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, it's our subject, the, unchangeable, the unchangeableness of his purpose, interposed with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie we who have taken what? Refuge. Would have strong encouragement and take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and steadfast as one which enters within the veil. Who enters the veil? So, well, the anchor enters the veil. We have a song about that. But who enters the veil? It's the high priest enters the veil. And Jesus is the high priest. And if you shelter under this high priest, you're safe. Under his indestructible life. You see, the readers of the book of Hebrews fled for refuge in Jesus Christ. But the writer of, the, of this book of Hebrews was totally frustrated. He was completely frustrated. Imagine having something of vital importance to share with your hearers. Something that they need to understand. And he says, I'm afraid you've neglected your spiritual life so much that now when there's a, when there's a time of crisis in your life, you can't even know what you need to survive the trial. When you need it the most, you've neglected your spiritual life so much that you become dull. And so some of these people in the book of Hebrews, they're like those people in the cities of refuge. They walk away. They look over their shoulder. They can hear the chants of the priests, the songs of the Levites. They can even smell the smoke off the altar. And they go back to Judaism. Now, I know people who, they dabble in Christianity. You know, go to breaking of bread, read the word, mingle with his people. But they go back to what they've been taught their whole life. They go back to systems that can't save And so you have three options.
Your sins killed Jesus and you don't run to refuge. You don't run to him as your refuge. And you wait for the avenger. And who's the avenger of blood? The almighty God. The wrath of God. First Thessalonians will talk about God is the avenger in all things. So you can wait there for the avenger, the almighty God. Or you can believe that your sins put him on the cross and you can shelter under Jesus, your high priest, who has an indestructible life. And watch as he takes you to your inheritance. Or you could be like these people who fled the city and they go back to the systems that can't save. Which camp were you in? Which camp were you in? Chapter 21, we're not going to spend much time in this at all, but the Levites go and they say, hey, Moses promised us our inheritance. And the people of God share their cities with the Levites, which we've seen in chapter 20. But think of the tremendous impact that they had just by walking faithfully with God. I think some of us, you know, we look at what we have and we say, what difference am I making? You know, I work hard. I get a paycheck. I pay my mortgage. I pay rent. I pay all my bills. I look at my Chase app on my phone, and I feel like that young little boy in the Gospel of John. I've only got two fish and five pieces of bread, especially after taxes. What am I going to do with this? He say, you know, Lord, you gave this to me. I want to use it for you. How do you want me to use it for you? And you use it for him, and you know what you do? You feed so many more people than you ever would have imagined. You know, these people, they claim their inheritance, they claim possessions of it. Levites, they're providing for the Levites. People are fleeing to the cities of refuge the impact that they had. Or maybe you say, you know, I don't really have much money, and I, but I have a car. And I want to use this for God. And you know, there's a huge need. People need rides. People need to get picked up. And it's sometimes inconvenient to do it. Let's be honest. But you say, God, this is my car, but you gave it to me. And I want to use it for you. And you pick people up. You say, Lord, I have a home here. We have a new carpet. I don't want to invite people over because they're going to track mud in the carpet and I don't want to mess things up. But Lord, you gave it to us. It's yours. We want to use our home for you. And you give it back to God. You take what God's given you. You give it back to him. You become a blessing for others. And one day, as you're in heaven... In the world to come with the Lord, and you've received your word, all the rewards, you'll look back, and like verse 45 in chapter 1, you'll say, not one of the good promises of God has failed to come to pass. What a blessing. Your life makes a huge difference. It's a 
So take the Word of God seriously, walk with Him, and obey Him what He's called you to do. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for who You are. Our sins put You on the cross. Lord, we thank You that You willingly put Yourself there as well. God, if we have not turned to You, I pray that we'd flee the wrath to come, that we'd flee to You, our High Priest. Lord, for some of us, our lives seem so insignificant. But God, the very prayers that we pray to you, you hear. We may not see all the impacts. The little that we have that you've given us, God, we're so grateful for. Because in reality, you've given us so much. You've given us an inheritance. Lord, I pray that it would help us to give back to others what you've given us. We love you and thank you for the wonderful God that you are. You've given everything to us, your very own life. In Jesus' name, amen.